Hi, this is Kristen Regal. And this is Paul Rock. And welcome to the Common Room Podcast. Um, every Sunday at 1045, we gather together to talk about life and spirituality, about the common experiences we share, as well as some of the questions we wrestle with. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope to see you some Sunday at 1045. As you uh, might be aware, we are shifting into a new sermon series um, through Pentecost, which is the, the liturgical season we find ourselves in. This Easter season runs right up into um, Pentecost in May, and the, the title that we have um, given to this series is called uh, Ordinary Joy in Extraordinary Times. And uh, I have to be honest with you, uh, the idea of talking about joy at a time like we're in, uh, to, to feel joy, uh, it's a question. Why, why would we discuss something like this? Why would we talk about something in the middle of a uh, pandemic where the global body count continues to mount and where um, I think as of yesterday or earlier um, on Thursday, about 25 million new people had um, filed for unemployment in the United States. Uh, so the effects of this pandemic will be rippling out into in various ways, um, whether it's physically or psychologically or, or financially. Um, and sadly, we're also realizing that, that the people that are most affected by and bearing the brunt of the, both the sickness and also the economic costs tend to be our lower income workers and a, and a disproportionate amount of, of black and brown people in our country. And so there's all sorts of reasons why not to be joyful. It's all sorts of reasons to be frustrated and fearful um, and even angry at this time, certainly confused. And so, uh, so how do we talk about joy? Um, it's a good question. In fact, uh, we thought about scrapping this entire sermon series uh, a few weeks ago. We were thinking about what's coming up, and we had planned with the seasonal leadership team back in the fall to do a series on joy and happiness. We thought it would be a great thing to do in the spring following a, a series talking about the earth and and our care for the earth and how we've got a long ways to go and caring for this earth of ours that is crying out. Um, so we thought a good series on joy and happiness would be uh, appropriate. And then the closer we got, we thought, well, maybe, um, maybe this isn't appropriate at all. And we thought about just uh, scrapping it and coming up with something else. But, but as I began to kind of ask some of you and talk to some of you and, and uh, do some reading and, and, and some research and thinking about joy and kind of plumbing the depths of my own soul, because, um, to be honest with you, this is uh, this has not been an easy time um, for me. Uh, there have been uh, struggles, some days with anxiety or depression that I haven't dealt with for uh, years. And there's something about being in the midst of this and the change and the scheduling and the not being able to be with people who are mourning or not being able to be a part of memorial services or knowing that different things are having to be postponed or canceled altogether and plans being shifted. It's, it's hard stuff we're in the middle of, and, uh, and some days are harder than others. And so at a, at a larger level and at a personal level, we thought about calling off this, um, this sermon series. But as I had already begun to kind of think about it and talk about it with other people and read some things, one of the things that, that stuck out to me was that the people who had the most kind of profound revelations and understandings and experiences of joy 
were, whether it was people from today or people from 100 years ago or 200 years ago or, or biblical writers, the people that wrote with the most profound and deep understanding of joy that really seemed to resonate are the people um, that weren't writing in the midst of times that were normal uh, or were easy. Um, they were people who were penning their thoughts, sharing their thoughts and their experiences in the midst of darkness and, uh, and of loss, whether that be um, as recipients of, of racism or in, or in the middle of a, of a war or dealing with, with death or, or mental illness. Um, it's been in those times, kind of when it's darkest, that if you can find that, that light, that one light in the darkness, it has more of a profound effect and you can talk about joy in a way that you can't, that might seem a little bit flippant or uh, kind of rose-colored glasses if you're talking about it in another time. So. I began to realize that, no, actually, maybe this is the time to talk about joy. And for those of us who have thought about joy in, in one way or another, to, to perhaps get to a different level, a different understanding of what joy is all about as, as, as followers of Christ, as, as Christians. Um, so uh, I think this is important. This is an important topic for us to talk about. But before we dive into it, I, I want to just uh, come up with some agreements, right? things that we're talking about and we're not talking about when we get into joy because some people can say ah, i don't want to talk about that or whatever but let's just let's just make some agreements together so i've got a few things that i would love to just share with you and i am going to share my screen and i am not nearly as good at this as alex is so please forgive me if i mess up hopefully you are seeing my screen uh there we go baby um so yeah, so what we're not, let's just agree that we're, we're not talking about, when we talk about joy, we're not talking about um, the power of positive thinking. Um, that's, that's not what we're doing here. In fact, there's been plenty of studies that show that just doing that and denying uh, you know, difficult feelings and just thinking positively can actually have negative effects on us psychologically long-term. So we're not talking about that. That's not what this series is about. Uh, we're also not saying that, um, or denying the difficulties and the pains of life and, and in different places in different times people are dealing with deep tragedies and, and, and pain right and so we're not denying the difficulty of personal circumstances where people are are, are and, and what trauma they're dealing with with in whatever shape all right so that we acknowledge that everybody's there we're also um, not saying that that everybody is the same and, and that we all have got the we're all starting from the same point and we can move on from there and grow joy some of us uh, to put it in, uh, in cartoonish characters some of us are just more wired to be a Tigger and some of us are more wired to be an Eeyore and there's actually online tests that can tell you what percentage of Tigger or Eeyore, Eeyore that you are and that's okay. Uh, we need Eeyores, we need Tiggers and, and so we all come from different places and we, we acknowledge that just from a basic kind of wiring level we're at, at different places. So we're not saying that we're all the same. Um, what we are saying and what I want us to agree with here is, is that joy is not, we're not talking about a, a feeling something that we just kind of a privilege that we just all deserve that should just be there. We, we should feel joyful. We're not talking about that. That, that might be a result of um, this deeper joy, Christian joy that we're going to be talking about, but we're not talking about just a feeling. And, and it's helpful maybe to get there if we think about the etymology of this word, which was an interesting thing for me to do uh, last week. So if you get to the etymology of, of this word joy, it, it comes from the, the Middle English word uh, joy, that's what it translates directly into our modern English, uh, comes from the old French word joie, right? 
And then that comes from the Latin gaudium or gaudere, uh, and that means to be glad or to rejoice, to rejoice, right? So what we're talking about is an action, is, is a discipline, and that actually the, the emotion, the feeling of joy comes as a result of or a response to or in coordination with rejoicing. Right, so finding ways to rejoice even in the darkness is a way to grab a hold of joy. And, and we, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, the God who died alone on the cross, are ones who can find in the midst of that faith, even in the midst of difficult times, uh, ways and reasons to rejoice, which leads to uh, an experience of joy. So that's we're talking about action. And then finally, the last thing that I want us to, to, to agree on is that um, we believe, and, and we would agree, hopefully, that uh, it does not mean to be a good Christian, and, and some of this just kind of sneaks into those of us especially who come from maybe more of a Midwestern Calvinist uh, tradition of, of faith. Uh, to be a good Christian, you do not have to look like this, okay? That, that, that's, that's not what it means, right? So sometimes we think as a good Christian, you're not even supposed to maybe feel happier. You don't have a right to be happy. Your joy isn't something that we talk about. We talk about hard work. We talk about denying the flesh. We talk about maybe memorizing Bible scriptures. We talk about praying every day. We talk about being selfless, which is all great stuff. But, but it doesn't mean that we also shouldn't be practicing the discipline of joy and happiness. So I just want us to agree on those things before we go uh, any further. Um, I'm gonna stop sharing my screen here for, for a second. So the other thing that I wanted to remind us as we go into this joy um, series on, on joy and, and extraordinary times is that we are still in uh, Easter season, right? So I'm sitting here still next to the cross. I've got my Easter stole on that uh, some folks in the choir made for me. Um, this Easter season, especially early on in the Easter season in, in our Bible story, we're typically at this time of the year preaching from the very early experiences of Easter in the lives of the disciples. And, and one of those um, uh, stories that is typically read right after Easter is the story uh, is called the road to Emmaus and, uh, and and in just a little bit Joshua Coney is going to read part of that for us but actually not the part that we typically read right the typical story of the road to Emmaus is told this time of year and it's a story of a man and a woman who are walking on a long dusty road away from Jerusalem. They're walking to a little town, sleepy town called Emmaus, their hometown, because they had been in Jerusalem during the, the kind of the, the passionate final week of Christ's life and then his death. They, along with the other disciples, had an understanding of what was going to happen and what their lives were going to be like and, uh, and the success and, and, the, and all the good things that were going to take place as, as a result of Christ taking his role of leadership and in, in Jerusalem and what that kingdom would look like. And all of that came crashing down. And so they are headed back, walking back these two to this sleepy town called Emmaus. Um, and their uh, friend had been arrested and, and tortured and killed. Their followers, his followers had all been scattered. They had lost their callings, their careers, whatever it was. And they're on their way home. Um, the, uh, one, one song that came to mind as I was thinking about this was a, a Talking Heads song, We're on the Road to Nowhere. And sometimes it feels like that way. We're on the road to nowhere, right? And uh, we don't know 
exactly how we got on that road. We don't know exactly where we're going. And uh, it can be long, it can be dusty. We can be sitting there talking with others on this road about how things didn't work out the way we thought they were going to, uh, about how our life plans just kind of fell apart. Um, and when we're on that road to nowhere, the conversations that ensue, the things that happen there, even in the midst of that sadness and that mourning and being on a road that you didn't intend to be on, uh, if we pay attention, sometimes we can be surprised by the presence of joy even there. So that is the context. These are the, the, the disciples who are on their way to, to Emmaus. Um, Jesus shows up and begins to walk with them on that road. Uh, as they are turning in to their home, they notice that this man, but at the time, I'm sorry, I should have said this, they don't know it's Jesus at the time. There's just this guy and they're kind of bitching and moaning a little bit about how badly things have turned out. And this stranger is just listening to them and kind of talking to them. And then as they get home, uh, the stranger is going to move on and, and, and keep walking. And they say, no, no, come and break bread with us. Come eat with us. And so the stranger comes in and they continue their conversation around the dinner table. And as they're breaking bread, uh, all of a sudden, these disciples realized this stranger on the road was Jesus Christ, was the resurrected Christ, and they are filled with joy. They, they freak out, um, and it's at that point uh, that our reading uh, begins for today. Luke chapter 24, read by Joshua Coney. Thank you, Joshua. All right. Verse 33. They got up right then and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying to each other, the Lord really has a reason. He appeared to Simon. Then the two disciples described what had happened along the road and how Jesus was made known to them as he broke the bread. While they were saying these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. They were terrified and afraid. They thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you startled? Why are doubts arising in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It's really me. Touch me and see. For a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see I have. As he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Because they were wondering and questioning in the midst of their happiness, joy. He said to them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of baked fish. Taking it, he added it in front of them. Thank you. Thank you, Joshua. So friends, what I love about this passage is that, um, that these disciples were thinking life was gonna go one way, right? They were in Jerusalem uh, for Passover and and who knows, they could have been seated around that dinner table with Jesus, that final supper with him and his disciples. And, and they had this notion of what was going to happen and how Jesus was going to rise up and, and, and take on some sort of civic power and that they would be a part of that. And, and, um, and it didn't work out, right? And so they're talking about that and this long ride home on this road to nowhere. And then Jesus walks next to them. And even in the course of their walking with him, they get a sense that this guy is a little different. Something special is happening. They don't put two and two together quite yet. And finally, when the realization of the resurrection, that Jesus Christ himself was with them, right? Their goosebumps kind of take over and they get this rush and they recognize who it is that they've been talking to. They don't just 
sit there around the table then and, and, and chat about it. They don't say, wow, that was, that was pretty cool. Um, what movie do you want to watch tonight, right? They, they didn't just kind of move on uh, to the next thing. They talked about it and not just talked about it, they stood up and it was already dark, right? But they got up and they headed back to Jerusalem that night, right? I don't know if they ran or what they did, but it was not a short trip, you know, somewhere around four or five miles. They, they did something with that experience of joy, that epiphany, that resurrection, that miracle that they experienced. They did something with it. They acted on it. They headed back to Jerusalem, right? And even though, you know, it, it's late, they, they get there, they, they find the other disciples and they begin to explain to them, right? They begin to describe to them um, what had happened and, and, and who this person that they met along the road and the feelings that they had. And then, and then he started breaking bread and these things took place and they're telling the story, they're retelling the story to the disciples and it says that Jesus showed up again. And, and this, is, this kind of hit me as I read the text this time. I think there's something in this, right? So I want just a little thought experiment. Here's a question. If these two disciples, this man and woman who had experienced Christ in Emmaus, if they hadn't gotten up and run back to Jerusalem and told their story, retold their story in detail, would Jesus have showed up there? Was there something about their act of faith and response of rejoicing and going back and telling others and sharing that good news with others that was a part of Christ then showing up there as well. You hear what I'm saying? So I just want to, I want to, I want to do this real quick again. I'm going to, I'm going to share my, um, share my screen. And I want to just look at this passage again with you real quickly. Um, let's see, let's see, I'm going to make sure I'm in the right place. Here we go. So uh, let's see, I want to go back, go back, go back, go back, go back. Okay. Here's the disciples. I'm going to draw, I'm going to draw on my screen here. Let's see if I can do it, right? So they, they got up, right? As soon as they figured out that what had happened, they did something, right? They got up right then and they returned to Jerusalem, right? A place that they didn't think um, had things had turned out the way they wanted to. And so as they returned, they were changed people. I mean, we can kind of think about how it is that we will return to work or we'll return to normal. But are there ways that we can be returning with a different, a deeper understanding of joy? So they find the 11 disciples and their companions gathered together. And they said to each other, you know, the Lord has really appeared to Simon and the disciples explained what happened along the road, right? So they, they went into detail how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And while they were saying these things, while they were saying these things, Jesus himself stood among them. Like there's something to that, right? And, and it says that they were, right? They were terrified and afraid. One of the things we have to recognize is that just because we feel terrified, just because we're afraid, just because we're confused, doesn't mean we can't also experience joy, right? They're not, they're not opposing forces. Then Jesus says, why are you startled? Why are doubts arising in your head? Look at my hands and feet. Touch me, right? So do something. Do something else here. Touch me. See? He showed him his hands and his feet. And it says, because they were wondering, right? So they still were questioning. And yet, they were still terrified and afraid. 
they knew happiness and joy. I think there's something to that. In the midst of what can be uh, painful, terrifying, scary, confusing, if we can recognize those things, those, even those little things in our lives that are miraculous. And I, and I heard one gentleman say in one of the podcasts I was listening to, that he, he, he made a decision after going through a very difficult time in his life to, to keep a journal. And every day he was just going to write a short essay on something that was miraculous, something for which um, he was thankful and brought him joy. He said, just the practice of having to think about that every day, just noticing a flower, noticing the way another person moved their hands when they talked. And he said, that thing, that flower, that, that, that bird song, that person gesturing, that smell in the air, it wasn't miraculous until I said it was miraculous. And once I learned to start calling things miraculous or beautiful, then they became that. So there's, there's agency, there's power within us simply in recognizing that odd feeling, that thing that's happening around us, like the, the disciples in the road to Emmaus and saying, wait a minute, something amazing is happening here and I need to speak it out loud. I need to share it with others. I need to rejoice. And in that rejoicing and that retelling and that sharing, Christ shows up again. Um, so let me, let me kind of move on from that. The, the, um, the, the thing that also is, is challenging about, about talking about joy and happiness is that the thing that is um, probably the biggest impediment to our experiencing of joy and happiness um, is us. So circumstances, certainly, and especially in dire and very, very severe violent circumstances that it can steal our joy. But a lot of what steals our joy or keeps us from experiencing joy is is us, right? It's, it's our habits or our instincts. The, the Apostle Paul says it this way, uh, and, and the Apostle Paul tends to speak kind of, kind of bluntly. But in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he says this. Tell me if you can't relate. I don't know what I'm doing because I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do the things that I hate. I don't know what I'm doing because I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do the things that I hate. As wonderful as we are as humans, and we are beautifully and wonderfully made and complex and amazing, sometimes we should not trust our instincts, especially when it comes to what's going to make us happy, right? For, for some of us, right, more money for, for a number of people in the world, more money really truly would change your life and make you more happy, give you access to things that you, that you don't have that really truly would make you more happy. People who are experiencing food deprivation, right? Having a, a high calorie fatty meal really will make them happier. But for most of us, most of us have enough of that basic stuff, right? We, we have what we need. We're okay. Most of us are. And when we're feeling down, when life is feeling heavy and we need a lift, what do we do? What do our instincts tell us to do, right? Well, if you're like me, you, you grab a handful of M&Ms and then you grab another handful of M&Ms because that's, I mean, that's just going to make me happy. And then um, if that doesn't work, you scroll through a bunch of TV shows or you, or you flip through your smartphone and compare yourself to other people, either start to feel a little bit envious of things that people have that you don't have, or you start to feel better about yourself because there are clearly people who are in way worse cases or are losers in ways that I'm not, right? 
So there's certain things that we will do, that we will turn to, that we think will make us happy, right? Binge watch another series, engage in that habit that, that maybe fulfills us for just a moment, but then actually leaves us feeling more unfulfilled. And I want to tell you this, I'm not knocking any of that stuff, right? In certain doses, when you've had a tough day, taking the edge off, doing something that helps you just to kind of pause for a moment is important. And I think that's okay. And it plays a role in our lives. But the thing that I think we have done is that we have cheapened joy a little bit. And so doing that over and over again, we've put the bar too low, right? That what we do when we need to feel joy or experience joy is we just kind of go for a quick dopamine rush or, or, or a fantasy or a sugar high. And, and, and we think that that some, somehow that is what should bring us happiness, but that the happiness, the joy that God wants us to experience, it's not that easy. And it takes a little bit more work and, and the bar is set a little bit higher, right? We as Americans um, in 2015 spent $70 billion in lottery tickets. More than you spent, we've spent on, on books, um, entertainment, the thing is that this narrative of what's going to bring us joy, what's going to make us happy, happy has actually, we're kind of losing that, we're losing that fight. The people that have got the loudest bullhorns and that are convincing us as to what will make us happy, what truly will make our life fulfilling is not necessarily coming from the deep wisdom of those who have walked through darkness and have shared in places like scripture and other places, that deeper understanding of joy, that the folks that are, are winning are the people that have got the airwaves and have got the social media channels and, and are convincing us again and again what it is that will bring us joy. I wanted to share it with you one last, um, one last slide. That's not true, I've got a couple more, but um, it's this. In 1967, uh, college freshmen were asked, uh, what is very, very important for a meaningful life? Another way to put it was, you know, what, would, what will make you joyful in the long run? And in 1967, 43% of college freshmen said that being well off financially was important. 43%, so not even 50%, right? 85% believed that a meaningful philosophy of life what was, was what was most important. Fast forward to 2005, and certainly this trend has continued, so I guess it's higher than this even. 75, 71%, probably 75% today, believe that the thing is really gonna lead to an important and meaningful life is being very well off financially, very well off financially. So not just making it, not having enough, being very well off, that, that financially off, that, that is what's gonna bring us happiness and that an understanding of a meaningful philosophy of life has dipped from 85 to 52%. So there's a narrative, there's a story that's winning um, and it's the story of quick fixes and simple happiness, um, sugar highs and dopamine rushes. And, and we have got, um, as Christians, we have got the ability to tell a deeper story, to experience a deeper level of rejoicing and to share that with others so that others can experience a joy, an eternal joy um, that the world uh, can't provide in the same way. Um, where I'm getting some of this information, I'm just a quick um, word of encouragement. If joy is something that we're supposed to practice, um, what we wanna do in this series is find ways that we can practice together, developing this discipline of joy, right? Um, in, our, in our Christian circles, we can tend to think that, that joy, um, I mean, as, as, as Christians, we're supposed to kind of look like 
this, right? We are to be stoic. And when it comes to the disciplines of a good Christian life, we don't think um, typically beyond uh, quiet time or going to church or reading your Bible, but we need to be thinking about joy and practicing joy, tending to joy, recognizing happiness, rejoicing and sharing that joy. That is a very powerful and important spiritual discipline on a daily basis that the more we practice it, the better we get at it and the compounding interest will actually have an effect on our lives so that we experience that eternal joy that God wants us to know so that we can have life and life to the full so that we can experience the fruit of the spirit, right? Love and joy and peace and patience and that we can then be agents of and bringers of that resurrection, hope, and joy to others as we rejoice and we proclaim. The, um, one of the things that I'm doing with my extra time that I would encourage you to, to join me with, and if you'd like to, is I am taking, I just signed up for a class at Yale. I've never taken a class at Yale before. I didn't get into Yale. Uh, but now I'm taking a class on Yale taught by um, Dr. Laura Santos. If you would like to, uh, there's the link right here, uh, and it is, it's been a wonderful class, uh, and it's the science of happiness, and a lot of it, believe it or not, kicks back to the same truth that we all know in following Christ, the deeper things of joy actually truly lead to happiness. Um, and so if you're looking for something to do and you want to take a class at Yale and you can say you just got a uh, credential or you got a, took a class, you can take it for free or pay a little bit and get a get credential. Um, but I would encourage you to, uh, to do that. Um, the, the thing that, um, that we want to be able to uh, develop uh, our habits, spiritual habits that make us into the kind of people that make us into the people who, uh, who love God and love ourselves and love others, no matter who they are, where they are, with a love that transforms us all. We, to be people like that, we, we've got to know that it's going to take work. Um, but that the work of rejoicing and being joyful in the midst of a dark time perhaps is um, the time when it's needed the most. And so we're going to be encouraging each other during the course of this series to be sharing with each other what we are doing, how we are experiencing that deeper joy that is beyond maybe just a dopamine rush or a, or a simple taking the edge off. Um, and we're going to be sharing with you practices. So if you'd like to join that class, uh, I would encourage you to do that. If there's other things that you've found uh, that you'd like to share with the rest of us, we would love um, to see that. Um, every Sunday, we're going to practice a way to, to tend to joy, to grow in this discipleship. Um, and, uh, and then every Monday, uh, we're gonna get an, you're going to get an email out that Kristen or others will send out with a little video clip or another way, a, a spiritual practice, a spiritual discipline that you can try to, try to incorporate as an individual or as a family so that we can be people who build joy and rejoicing as a discipline in our lives and therefore hopefully become uh, more joyful people who can bring the joy of Christ then. Uh, to others. And so today we're going to be practicing this thing called savoring. That's what I think the, the, um, the disciples on the road to Emmaus did. They experienced Christ and they didn't just go then watch a movie. They, they savored it. They talked about it. They got up, they ran back to Jerusalem. They told the story again. And in so doing, uh, the exponential joy of their experience um, was realized. And so what we want us to do today is to, is to take some time and to think about, just thinking back over our week, um, whether it was a tiny thing or a big thing, a subtle thing or a profound thing? Where did we experience a little miracle? Where did we experience something beautiful? And how can we savor that, talk about it, and allow others to be blessed by it and experience resurrection?
Um, so uh, that's what we're going to be doing. And I would encourage, hope all of you can be a part of that so that we can grow together in our experience of joy, even in the midst of a, of a dark and confusing time that we're in. I thought I would just uh, open it up by um, giving you a little bit of an opportunity to share um, what you heard in your in your breakout room about a way that um, maybe someone knew you or someone else that you heard had experienced joy in a way that was um, profound. They were able to savor and share with you and you were actually blessed by them sharing that. Um, uh, any any stories or reflections that, that stuck out to you from, from our time of, of savoring, practicing savoring joy in the uh, small group breakouts? I liked hearing about hearing Chad uh, go outside, Chad McCauley go outside with his uh, dogs once or twice a day. And, and when Chad or Geneva would ask if the dog wants to go, the dog was leaping with joy and, and uh, ready to go. So that was fun to hear. We heard from Josephine, her daughter, who is a doctor, was actually on this, the um, COVID-19 Sesame for Kids program yesterday. Huh. I guess it was last night. That was exciting to hear about that. Yeah, some of the, some of the creative um, responses by the, you know, the poets and the artists and the doctors are, are showing up in ways that are pretty powerful and profound and life-giving and the ways that they have responded have been um, pretty inspiring anybody My, else? yeah we shared about the beauty we saw in um flowering plants mm -hmm. and um the smell and just the freshness of that and um also that we all express that we've been more intentional about creating community hey. with um friends and things perhaps even more intentional than we were before quarantine um, about making time for the people that we love and so we're doing zoom chats across four time zones and um, things like that that we may not we weren't doing before right. and um, how wonderful that is yeah. I, I think that I'm going to reconnect with my oldest brother in this way you know you, you know you get out of the habit of talking because people are busy in their lives but now um, my sisters and I I'll connect from across the United States. It was very nice at the same time. My sisters and I had a Zoom yesterday, uh, one in Berkeley, me here, one near Chicago, one on Cape Cod for an hour. It was great fun. Other things that have been perhaps unexpected or um, smaller things that you've been forced to pay attention to that you've maybe re recognized were Miracles that you wouldn't have called them before as is there part part of you that is maybe Growing in this ability to recognize a little bit of light in the darkness or, or to call something miraculous or profound that perhaps you might have just walked by before I feel like I've been spending more time in the mornings just actually being quiet and just listening to all the birds yeah. and just Taking the joy from that. Yeah. And do you think that the it's us being more quiet or are the birds being louder? Because I'm getting the same thing. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's because us humans have stepped back, but I'm like, oh my gosh, these birds are fantastic. But I don't know if it's because I've just learned to listen or if that's yeah. what do you think? 
I think it's kind of, I think, I think it's a combination of both, but you sit there and you hear one or two and then all of a sudden you hear five or, you know, it just seems to grow and grow and grow. Yeah. yeah. I think they come closer to our buildings because people aren't there. That could be. Mm -hmm. We looked out in our backyard, Nancy looked out in our backyard the other day and she said, what in the world is that? And it was one of those huge turkey buzzards. We've never seen a turkey buzzard in our backyard, ever. Is that disconcerting or is that joyful? Yeah, I mean, like they say, you know, all sorts of, of animals and wildlife keep appearing in places where you don't expect to see them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there, there's another one. Look at there. Is that Daniel Tiger, Andy? <laughs> uh, we find you becoming more childlike when we go on Zoom with our family and uh, do silly things, which kind of helps alleviate some of the stress. You know, one place that I found joy, uh, Stacy and I did last night, um, we uh, early on in our relationship, we got married um, when we were kind of young and uh, didn't, didn't know a whole lot of, uh, we weren't, weren't the wisest young adults in the world at that point. And I was, um, after we'd been married for a couple of years, I started seminary. And um, uh, one of the things that came along with being at a school that also had a school of psychology, Fuller did, is that you could get free, get free, 10 free weeks of therapy as long as you were willing to sit with some other folks who were in the process of becoming PhDs, getting there. And they had to get in a certain number of hours. And so, uh, you know, something free always sounded good when you're in debt and you're young. And so Stacy and I signed up for 10 free weeks. Um, and it, uh, it was wonderfully a powerful thing for a young couple to do, to learn how to, have, how to fight fair and how to listen to each other and all this kind of stuff. We ended up signing up for another 10 weeks and I've told you this story before. I kind of went in thinking, ah, she's got a lot of issues she needs to deal with. Uh, and I came out realizing, holy, you know, I'm, this, is, this is the person actually who's got a lot of stuff to deal with. Um, we have tried to, um, as, as a response to that and recognizing how life-changing that was for us and giving us those communication tools and conflict tools, was to every five years um, just sign up for another 10 weeks, whether we wanted it or not or needed it or not or whatever. And um, we've been pretty good at that, except for the last 10 years. We haven't really done a very good job. And so um, Kristen has been doing this Couples Connect and getting couples online. Um, the, the first meeting actually was in person, but the last two have been in, online. And, and Kristen and I, um, uh, or I asked Kristen, it would be okay if Stacy and me came she's like absolutely so she sent us the link and so last night there were i don't know 16 of us maybe Kristen, something like that um different couples of different stages of life and sexual orientation and everything it was a wonderful group of folks who it what brought me joy was to, to just be reminded that there are people with different backgrounds different experiences different life experience who are committed to being loving, gracious, understanding partners in the midst of a very, very trying time to the extent that they are willing to sit with other people like on a Zoom call like this and talk about what's going on in their lives and the things they're arguing about and how they're working through it and people praying for each other. And Stacy and I kind of looked at each other afterwards and said, what, I mean, what a, what a miracle. And it just made us more thankful for each other, but also thankful that we're a part of a community like this of other couples who are committed to trying to, to be, recognize that we're imperfect and, and trying to be 
um, creators of safety and hope and, and understanding. So that was a really a joyful thing. So Kristen, thank you for making that happen, even in the midst of this and, and uh, just a, a witness and a testimony. There are, there are a lot of couples out there that are trying to do hard work in the midst of this. I think something I've been noticing, so Mark and I um, have had like the privilege of traveling a fair amount, um, which has been really nice, but also just doing some fun things. And when you mentioned the savoring part, Paul, something I was thinking about is just the reminiscing that we've done. Huh being able to travel but talking about oh remember when we went to visit your family here or when we went to Seattle or Switzerland and as we thought as we think about happiness I think especially in the midst of doing like a wedding registry and thinking about things um and thank you for friends who have given us gifts those are wonderful um but I think, <laughs> um, I think we're realizing like we'd much rather be able to have those experiences because we're able to savor them so there's a different types of joy that comes like remember that hike like remember that adventure and i think like the trip is amazing but we probably relive the trips that we've taken three times a week especially as we're not traveling now but either thinking about places we want to go we're saying hey do you remember how the sun just shined that day or do you remember how cold the ocean was um and so as we did the savoring uh experience of sharing i was just reminded of kind of those experiences and Although it's very cliche, right, that things don't bring us happiness. It's the relationships and the experiences themselves, just being grateful for those opportunities and also kind of the space to relive them as yeah. we can travel now. Yep, that's good. Savoring can keep going. I no find my, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> One of the, the things I find myself doing is during this time is reflecting back. I, I tell people I'm a depression grandbaby <laughs> and thinking about the times that you know family members went through the depression or the stories that i heard about my mom sharing that when polio was a big issue that my grandmother took her children to the farm where there were family members and and they stayed at the farm for like six months mm -hmm. to be away from the city and where there was risk in the city and i just think in my mind um, because these family members are gone now just how they traversed the day to day and and in many ways, just Paul, as you alluded to the gratitude for, you know, how much more I have than my grandparents had, or at times in my life that my parents even had and um, not feeling guilty, but just knowing that I, in, in my generation that I have it so much better than they did. Yeah. And that kind of keeps me humble. <laughs> Interesting that Thanks you say sure. that, Christine. My mother had polio during oh, that Charlie. Um, I was four at the time. My brother was eight and my sister was two. And she actually uh, lost the use of her legs. So she lived the rest of her life, which was till she was 93 in a wheelchair. She was 32 at the time. She had polio. But I've been thinking a lot about that, reflecting back on what that was like for them. Yeah. Parents, I remember parts of that. I remember having to leave school and come home for lunch and take a nap and uh, <clears throat> the fear of getting into the swimming pool. You, there were just all sorts of things that were going on in those, in those uh, years. But I certainly have thought about my mother and the way she lived her life with joy. Yeah, she did. She was joyful that she had survived and she had a lot of friends that didn't. And uh, or that did survive and were bitter 
Mm -hmm. So um, I think the way we face these things mm -hmm. is really huge. I, I, that's that's such a good reminder. I, I'm just thinking about your mom. She was kind of one of those people to that to a lot of people I think was a kind of a a hero of resilience and joy in the midst of all that she endured. And she she I mean it was tough 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 um, to lose the use of your legs. Um, and and I. I've been thinking about, as I've been reading stuff about joy and how children, little kids are typically born kind of with a natural joy and wonder and they laugh easily and they find joy in all sorts of things. And then we tend to grow into the older that we get and the more that life has its effect on us and we realize that things don't always go our way and mom and dad aren't always there to make our troubles go away that um, we become a little more cynical and, and doubting and skeptical in our understanding of joy to the point where we can, um, become uh, just really dubious and doubtful that there is really anything. I mean, that, that if, if you are a person that really experiences joy or happiness, then you're, you're clearly, you just haven't been around the block enough times. Um, you're, you're, a little, you're a little naive and immature. Um, but then I, I, as I've been talking to people who are older in our congregation, um, to listen to them talk about the joy that they are finding in this time, whether it's connecting with family or it's taking walks, or it's reading a good book they've been meaning to get uh, through to, or or uh, recognizing that hey, that, you know, some people said, hey, at my age, I wake up in the morning and I'm thankful, you know, uh, and if I happen to still have my partner or spouse, and I wake up and we look at each other and we're still breathing, we give joy, and that's a deep joy. That's not a that's not a flippant, simple joy. That is a deep and profound joy, and it's like we go through this joy curve of experiencing a lot of joy when we're real little and then a lot of us you know a lot of reasons why it crashes and uh and then it takes a different kind of muscle and a different kind of tending to to build an understanding of joy a deeper joy back to the place where i think um life can take us but kind of like you say nancy it does take practice because you can also just continue to become more bitter uh you can become continue to become more cynical you can continue to not trust people. You can continue to see the world as a dangerous place, not as a place of adventure and hope. And so that that takes an intentional uh, work at, at that. And I think also an intentional theology. And so one of the reasons I've been wanting to do this and, and to go ahead and have this series on joy and happiness is um, in, in thinking about as the as the father of um, not millennials, but Z, what's the next gen? Z. Gen Z, yeah, um, who were digital natives, right? So they all grew up with iPhones in their in their hands, and and um, the you 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 look at the the number of prescriptions for anxiety and depression, and how it has just exponentially increased over the last couple of decades. And you you uh, you talk to this generation, and uh, the the incidence of of suicide, people taking their lives and ending their lives because of the level of depression and and, and desperation has continued to just increase in that generation. Um, the, the message that they hear all the time, all the time, all the time is if you can be basically, if you can live this curated life, right, that you see on the screen, because when you watch the Kardashians, you're not seeing the 16 takes that things didn't go well or they didn't look good or they were yelling at each other. All you get is the glossed edited version of whatever YouTube star, whatever person on TV you're looking at. So if your life doesn't match them, and there's teenagers from across the globe now who look beautiful and, and you know, got all this going for them. And, and uh, one, of the, one of the things that happens in this, in this Yale class that I'm taking with Dr. Santos is she, they went through and did a, a, a breakdown of the, the words that are used in, in the, the most um, prevalent um, 
kind of genre of music for young adults, uh, um, hip hop or rap. And uh, that the that the car that is mentioned the most, like the top five cars are like McLarens, Benz, you know, whatever. It's it's the, the, the most expensive car. And when they talk about drinks, it's the most expensive champagne. It's the most expensive. And, and clearly the marketing that happens, you're constantly told, this is what it means to be successful. This is how you're happy. This is what a successful person looks like. And that story of what is happiness, what is joy, what is success is so powerful and so unrelenting that it, it leaves you at the end of the day feeling more depressed and more with an inclination uh, for you or your friends to want to end their lives. The narrative that we have of joy as Christians should not be simplistic. It's not powerful thinking. It, it, it is truly experiencing the deeper joy of connecting with others, walking through sorrowful times, um, being bonded with each other through difficulties, recognizing the beauty of relationships or bird song, um, and recognizing that as a gift from God and rejoicing. Um, that that's that's a that's a narrative. That's a story we've got to get out there, and we've we've got to do it in ways that are effective because that counter narrative of what is happiness and what is joy is unrelenting and it, and it's powerful and it's effective, and I think it's it's killing us. I think, I think this is a great time to do a piece on joy in the midst of our isolation like this. Um, I have found um, isolation slash liberation mm. kind of a combination um, during this time because there has been something liberating about it in terms of having to learn to give up control over things you don't have any control over. And in a way, I found a sense of joy with that, even though some days it's been harder than others, because, um, you know, like, for example, um, Chris exudes joy all the time. Mm -hmm. And so he's a, a great um, mirror for me. Um, but um, we have found simple joys in video chats and driveway visits. <laughs> and uh, things like that. Um, so there's been a lot of joyful experiences, even in the midst of a time when you're missing those personal close relationships where you can just hug each other. Um, so we found different ways to have those uh, relationships continue and stay in touch with each other, whether it's a Zoom call or um, social distancing, get together with one family at a time. And uh, one of the joys this week was um, I sanitized my car and picked up my two youngest granddaughters. And we had a rainy day It was rainy all day. And we went over to the Nelson Art Gallery and in the Culture Garden. And it was just a new experience. And it was fun. And we laughed. And we took pictures by the shuttlecock and so forth. So um, it was uh, the requirement was a raincoat with a hood and boots. And that's what we did. So it was great fun. So it was a very joyful morning. Good for you. All these parents are working from home and kids get antsy and they're homeschooling and there's just a lot of dynamics that they're trying to balance. So yeah, the paradoxes of life. It just keeps on going. <laughs> wow. Jimmy, were you going to share something? Yeah, I was just back, back a few minutes ago, we were just talking about where we've experienced joy. And I think, um, what occurred to me was just the kindness 
that I see and how appreciated kindness is and how valuable these relationships have become and making the effort to stay in touch. Like I've been able to reconnect with people that don't live in Kansas City in some really special ways and really consistent ways. And it started to take up a lot of my evenings as, you know, <laughs> weekly. I have a group of, of two or three times a week. I have people from all over the country that get together and we just share, share our lives together. Um, but I think something that really, really special that happened this week is last night, um, one of my best friends here in Kansas City, uh, she's had to postpone her wedding like many couples have. Um, and it was supposed to be yesterday was her wedding date. And so she's since they've since moved it to December and are starting to do all that stuff. Um, but in response to that, um, a bunch of us got together and got um, we took over a bottle of wine and some other friends made dinner and some other friends got flowers. And then that evening, her her sister and her mom and some of her bridesmaids had put together a surprise um, Zoom call. And so all of us got on. There were probably, I don't know, 16 different devices, couples from all over the place. It was aunts and uncles and cousins and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so we got on about 15 minutes before she was supposed to get on the call. Um, and she's one of those people that can sniff out a plan. Like it's nearly impossible to surprise her. And, um, and so we were all on and just chatting and kind of meeting, like, kind of meeting the family that we would have met at the wedding. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and she got on and I mean, jaw dropped, just started, it just started occurring to her what she had just walked into uh -huh. and, and that everyone had been there to surprise her. But I just looked at how this family rallied around what could have been a really sad day. I mean, it was gorgeous yesterday too. I mean, just rub salt in the wound, you know, it would have been a perfect day for a wedding. But I just watched that and I was like, you know, we have such, we have these limited tools available to us and yet just the kindness and, and the ways that people can make special, the way that we can give time and attention to one another. And just talking about this idea of savoring, I just like sat in that for about 25 because everyone went around and did toasts to them. And, and it was just this really special, intimate moment where we didn't have much to give, but we had time and attention and love. And, and we just kind of savored, just sat in that for a little bit. And it's kind of an outsider to the family, um, you know, just being able to come in and just watch this beautiful little time take place. was just really special. And like, I've learned, I think part of this season has just taught me not to take kind of that kind of stuff for granted. And I hope that that kind of stuff can continue, you know, moving out of this season. I think people have been cooking a lot more. So we've actually been savoring homemade bread a lot. <laughs> yeah, we have too, for sure. We can't find yeast. We can't find yeast, no. <laughs> I have a bunch in my freezer. <laughs> Okay. We, we need like your address, Marsha. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Stacy and I are talking about how she she her she's got a stand up desk at work and she's working at home now and the best place to do that now is on an island, a kitchen island. So she stands there and she got her monitor and she's working and I, I sit in the dining room and we work next to each other and we find that we're making way more trips to the kitchen than we thought we would be. And so we're wondering when it's time, when it's time to actually go back to work, if we'll be able to get out of our sweatpants and into our regular pants again, we'll, we'll see. But there's, there's a joy, there's a joy in that, that uh, we're, we're uh, appreciating. I, I think one of the things too, um, I'm kind of a avid news watcher and I have to step back. That's, oh no, I have to, because, um, 
I want to keep up to date with certain things going on in, in different, I try and listen to different um, types of news, but I have to, I have to parcel out what's, in, it's kind of like not eating too much sugar on some, certain days. I just, <laughs> I need to step back because I know it corrupts, there's something about it that corrupts me inside because I, it, it just, you know, one day it's one thing, the next day it's another, and you're not sure, they're not even sure what certain things they're still discovering. We're still in discovery. So um, I need to, I really need to put a kind of a governor on my watching the news and I, I'm not doing that great. And I think that'll give me more joy. Yeah. Yeah. Joy can come through pruning, right? As well as adding. And so, so what, what do we need to prune from our lives that we actually is, is sucking life from us? So that's good. I have a, a couple of things and then we can, we can close, but one of the, one of the ideas, um, that I've had, you can ask my staff, I, I tend to think I have great ideas and so I share them um, <laughs> um and, and every once in a while, I'm right, every once in a while one of those noodles sticks on the wall. But one of the noodles that I said that I threw in this last handful of spaghetti of good ideas was, uh, I, I just feel like there's so many people out there that are doing, so it breaks my heart that the people that are um, in especially certain parts of our country who are succumbing to this illness the most are the people whose jobs force them to continue to be out and about and, and are frontline workers. And, you know, a lot of it is medical folks, but it's, a lot of it is people who are delivering DoorDash and who are working at poultry plants and who are police officers and people that are just doing the work of running kitchens and, and doing whatever. And they tend to be people that are often overlooked in society. Um, and, and oftentimes get the short end of the stick, like once again, it's happening. So I wanna, I'm, what I was gonna do is I was gonna take one of these signs, second has got like a million of these signs, yard signs for all different things, Ash Wednesday, Be the Church Sunday, uh, or whatever. And um, I'm just gonna take it home and I'm gonna either put a pillowcase over it or I'm gonna put some white paper or I'm gonna re and I'm gonna say thank you, uh, UPS deliver just something, just a just a note of thanks out into the world, and then I'm going to change it and put something out there next week. If anybody would be interested in that, I'm just going to stick all of these. So again, they're not ready to go. You would need to take them and then redo something. But they are great yard signs. They're in good shape, and we just they sit in storage until Easter comes. <laughs> or I'm just going to put a bunch of those on the front porch, and I'm going to have Alex send that out to the congregation. And, but if any of you want, they're, they're there just for us to say our word of thanks when we can't necessarily be talking face to face to some, some people. The other, so that's one thing, um, that, and, and obviously that, I think that can help us to be more joyful and giving, giving thanks is, is one way to increase our own joy. The last thing that I want us to be thinking about, I'd love for you to be thinking about is the, the more Sundays we have done this, I think the more we realize that we don't know what normal will be like when this is over um, uh, until there's a vaccine um, how do you gather in church uh, on a Sunday morning um, in groups of, you know, a certain amount and still be safe? Uh, what are the things that we are learning? Some people have, you know, texted me and said, Paul, I've actually been to church now more than I probably have in the previous year um, be because it's accessible because, because I can do it. I can sit in my PJs with my kids and I can watch it. Or people have said, I felt like for some reason last Sunday's service spoke directly to me, but maybe it was because I was sitting in my living room and I was listening to you and I was able to then have a conversation about it with my partner right afterwards. And so what are the gifts? Sometimes we feel like things are being taken away from us or these rituals or these traditions are being ripped away from us and we just can't wait to get them back together. And I wonder if 
the spirit of the living God is showing us that, that um, there's different ways beyond our limited understandings, what it means to be the church, what it means to do small group, what it means to have fellowship, what it means to express joy. I do want to get back together. I want to hug and kiss all of you. I, I can't wait till that day. Um, but uh, there's other ways that we can do this. And I, I want us to be attuned to and not just think about how do we rush back into doing things the way they were done before, but w how is this an opportunity for the church to be the church in more powerful and beautiful and profound ways and, and rejoice in more effective ways um, in the years to come? So I want you just to ruminate on that uh, so that we don't just find ourselves knee-jerking back into old ways of doing things without taking advantage of this unique historic pause and redo that, that God has given us as, as the church. Um, so that's a little bit of homework, if you don't mind um, joining me in that, and then I'll leave these signs out front. Any final comments or words? I, I, I want to be um, cognizant of the, of the time. It feels a little bit right now like we're kind of turning the soil in mm. a way, and that this is an opportunity for some new growth to happen in terms of a change in relationships a little bit there's a certain kind of intimacy that's come out of some of this that i never would have thought would have happened and um so i feel like i've made some connections with people in a different way that i may not have ever had a conversation with before um because i don't know this is just the, the mix up of people and who's coming in and going out and what group you're going to and so forth has just increased that opportunity to know people a, a little bit more and I just think that that's an opportunity for us to push that to the next level when we do come back together again and um, I don't know I think it'll be interesting to see how that all comes together. Turn, yeah, turn I, soil that's good go ahead. I, well I just want to add on to that one of the things that struck me in doing these virtual small groups is that there's not so much self-selection so like if you're in your 20s and 30s, you seek out the 20s and 30s group. If you're wanting to do a book study, you go to a book study and largely you're gonna, you know, you're gonna get a mix of people, but it's gonna be kind of people with similar interests. These little virtual um, breakout rooms, I've met people I may never have right. crossed paths with just because, you know, they don't have young children in the church or they don't have, you know, people that I cr cross with a lot more often. So I was trying to think of ways that can be manifested when we're back together um, in person or in the virtual days ahead, maybe on a larger scale, like a grab bag meet and greet or something <laughs> where it's not so much self-selection and friend groups. It's just people in your faith community and you meet a whole new set of folks. Yeah, interesting. Nice to meet you, Christine. You know me. I, I grew up at the church. I'm just coming back. I've been in Texas for 32 years. <laughs> well, I've only been a member there for 22. <laughs> but glad to be. Yeah, thanks for sticking around, everybody. Uh, know that you're not alone. We're all cheering for each other. Whether this has been a good day so far or you're feeling like you're dragging a piano uphill, know that you are loved <laughs> and we're with you and we're going to get through this. Uh, go in peace. Good to see everybody. Take care, everyone. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Have a great day.